Selling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time to take you behind the scenes in Smashville. Cuts across, he scores! This is the Preds' official podcast with Thomas Willis and Brooks Bratton. Powerful blow from back of the net. On Smashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Welcome to the month of December, the final month of 2019, the final month of the decade, as we roll into episode 63 of the Predators official podcast here on ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the Game Nashville app and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Brooks Bratton and Thomas Willis of NashvillePredators.com. It's good to be back alongside with all of you this week. It's been a couple weeks. We took a nice little Thanksgiving hiatus and plenty has happened since then. Lost to discuss on the show today and i could not be more excited for our guest as no well. you could not i literally could not be more excited i am pumped what do we got thomas it's good to, good to be here again as by the way it's uh, you have a nice thanksgiving i did yes um delightful my my daughter's first so got to yes. see and she's one now she's one now she had her first birthday since i guess last time we spoke mm-hmm. i think so yes um yeah got together primarily with my mom's side of the family um my brother and his wife drove into town as well. So we did Thanksgiving. We did birthday parties. It was great. It was great. There were no mashed potatoes at my Thanksgiving celebration. There were at mine. So, so as our as our loyal listeners know, did not sit great with me. But then yeah. we went to Carolina. Carolina had some fantastic mashed potatoes with their medium meal. So well, there you go. All was saved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the reason that you're excited for today's show is not just to reminisce about what you ate at Thanksgiving, <laughs> but... And again, I even from my perspective, I would stress that this is pretty unique. You you do not have this type of guest very often on an NHL podcast. Um, so we recorded this, I guess, roughly a week ago, um, which we'll get into kind of the funny timing of that. But um, you sat down with NHL official Wes McCauley. So maybe yes. like the ref that a lot of people know in the NHL. If someone knows a referee, it's probably Wes McCauley. Uh, in large part because of his flair, if you want to call it that, when he makes um, penalty calls. Um, he's one of the best. He does Stanley Cup Finals all the time. Um, did some of the Preds playoff series last year. Again, much like any other officiating crew in any sport, the better ones you get to advance round after round, depending on how accurate you are in calls, how good you are in other areas of the game. So he's he's one of the best. Um, we're actually going to do two segments with him, just because of how unique and cool it is to get that perspective. And you, much much more than me as an officiating nerd, were pretty excited to get to chat with him. I was pumped. I could have gone on for three hours. We could have done a whole month's worth of shows if it were up to me, but really excited. I hope you all all enjoy that conversation with Wes coming up in just a bit. The Predators as well, the hockey team that we cover, points in five of six games as we record this on Friday, December 6th. Uh, so the the six-game skid is over. Mm-hmm. That's what was going on the last time we recorded one of these. That seems so long ago, uh, and the Predators... I don't want to declare they're back on track, but getting in, in the right direction and some good thoughts from uh, Nick Benino on that subject in just a little bit here as well. But we're two months into the season, so where does this team stand? I think that's the big discussion, the big topic on everyone's mind. So as we said, it's been a little while, six games for the Preds since our last podcast, a two-game sweep over St. Louis, the OT loss to Vegas, a shutout win in Carolina, shutout loss in Florida, and then the OT loss to Tampa Bay on Tuesday night. Kyle Turris back in the Predators lineup against Tampa Bay, scored a power play goal, adds an assist. Daniel Carr is also back in Nashville. He had the shootout winner against the Blues prior to Thanksgiving. And then some injuries as well. Victor Arvidsson, since the last time we spoke, was injured way back in that St. Louis game in uh, at the Enterprise Center. Four to six weeks with a lower body injury, the cross-check from Robert Bortuzzo. He gets suspended for four games. And then as we speak right now, again, so Arvidsson out for a little while. Hopefully he's back in time for the Winter Classic, but that's up in the air just with the timing of that. And then Mikhail Granlin also day-to-day with a lower body injury, uh, did not play Tuesday against Tampa Bay, did not practice Friday. Yakov Trenin back in Nashville recalled on Friday. He's Milwaukee's leading scorer, and he's fifth in the AHL with 26 points. It's his second recall of the season. As we sit right now, the Predators have a 12 10 and 5 record 29 points they're right in the thick of things but not in a playoff spot as of now the last two weeks what do you think so we talked about this 
in our last episode the fact that the Predators had a six-game losing streak in their last game. It was in the month of December. They went 0-5-1. They, of course, went 0-5-1 in November as well. And last season, the team recovered very quickly, very rapidly from that skid. They went 5-0-2 in their next seven games. And it looked like the Predators were almost on an identical trajectory. They went 3-0-1, including that home-and-home sweep against the Blues. And then they've stumbled just a little bit recently. And I think the reason there's a bit of a prevailing sense of, you know, this team's not back and they're not good enough and they're having these issues is I think you just wanted to see them erase that deficit that they dug themselves with that six-game losing streak. And in large part, they are with the five points in five out of six games. But the way that you lose the Vegas game, again, coming off our our tradition that we always joke about, a loss prior to recording a podcast (laughs) for whatever reason, um, Honestly, a very well-played game against Tampa Bay, especially mm-hmm. to tie the game in the third period. The overtime was more on the lightning side of things, of course. But but a fair game, a decent game, a fine game. Um, and, and I think we'll see where they go from here. Like Across the season, you're fine with points in five out of six, no question. But when you're trying to recover from the hole that you've dug yourself in the month of November, that's the worrisome part. And I think what we don't know right now and we'll just have to get more evidence to see is who are the real Nashville Predators? Are they that team in October that was one of the best in the league? Or are they the team in November that was one of the worst in the league? And it evens out to being, as you just mentioned the record, roughly 500. And in large part in a playoff spot when you think about the in-games at hand. They're in the conversation, at least I guess mm, I should say. Absolutely. And, and it's one of those things where... If you were to win even just two or three games in a row, not not seven games in a row, not ten, not something crazy like that, just a few, you're in a playoff spot because it all te- of a sudden yeah. it's only four or five, six points out, something like that. The Preds have some games in hand as well, but here's the issue, and here's what we talked about in our last episode, and it's that the reason that stat comes back a lot about being in playoff positioning around Thanksgiving time is because. The way that the NHL set up with what I'll call three-point games, with that system, it is just so difficult to leapfrog teams. You can go on a 7-1-2 and two stretch in your last 10, and a team really only needs to get four or five wins because then they've probably got some overtime losses thrown in there, and you really didn't gain much ground on them. So I think that's the number one challenge for the Preds right now is looking up at just the sheer number of teams they have to leapfrog. They have to get over to get back into the playoffs. I don't think the points are that bad because mm-hmm. we've talked about this, I guess, even in the first year of this show, and that's 96 to 100 points, somewhere in that range. That's all you need for the playoffs. That's very much in the realm of possibility for the Predators, but it's not a guarantee that you're going to be able to get over five teams that are ahead of you in the standings. And that's what Nick Benino said. I talked to him earlier in the week on a, on a few different topics, and Really enjoyed speaking with Bones. He's always a very insightful quote, a very smart guy, really has been through a lot in his career. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, a member of this leadership group. You can read the story on NashvillePredators.com. But hear from Bones now on that topic. Where do you see this team two months into the season and what needs to happen to, if you want to say turn things around, sure, but what needs to happen in the, in the interim? Where would you like to see this team go? I really like what Nick had to say here. It's not ideal. Obviously, we'd like to be where Boston is. or I think that's every team's focus. Um, I think we had a great start. And, uh, you know, you, you go through ups and downs. I think hopefully it'll help us that we went through what we're going through now early in the year and we can turn it around. But that being said, um, it's a tough league to climb back up and there's so many good teams, especially in our division, um, that if we don't get points soon, it's going to be that much harder. So I think we all know the stakes. I think we've we've addressed them consistently, and um, you know we need to start we need to start winning. So no pun intended here, but no bones about it. The Predators need to start are winning. You sure, game. no pun intended there. Kind of, just a little bit. Okay. They they know where they are, right? That right. this is a team that's been through so much, and and that was something else that Nick Benino said is when he came in here two or three years ago. Yeah, this team has still been through a lot, but this core for the most part was two to three years younger. Mm-hmm. Now that they're older, they they've been through more. They understand things more, and and they kind of get the ebbs and flows of the NHL season. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, 
And and that's something that everybody on this team has pretty much been through now yeah. to this point. And and talk can only get you so far too. And I, I know people are gonna say, Well, you say you need to win, why don't you do it? Yeah. And I, I, I think that's something that this team has the capability of, of finding that within them to say, Okay, yeah, we know we need to do it. Everybody knows you have to win. Right. To make the playoffs and as we sit here and talk about it in December as you said so long way to go but at the same time you can't wait forever either mm-hmm. right and, and here's the thing like I think you and I hopefully and we try to come across as pretty reasonable when we record these shows but just like hockey ops just like management just like players feel the highs and lows of a season like yeah it's frustrating like mm-hmm. of course I wish the Predators could have erased their six game losing streak with a 5-0 and two stretch like they did last year then you're right back on schedule and you're not worrying about it. But it's going a little bit of a longer way. But if I'm trying to be realistic here and think back, it really truly has been a better stretch, especially on the defensive side. I mean, think about UC Soros coming in and playing both of those Blues games when the Predators goaltending was in flux. Now, Pecorino has looked fantastic. He got the shutout against Carolina. Like, he, he's looked a lot better. Huge bounce back for him, by the yeah. way, in Carolina. 100%. Like, overall, it's gotten better. To me right now, the Blues are the best team in the Western Conference again. To not just do it once and not show that it wasn't a fluke, but 48 hours later beat them again, that's encouraging. And it shows like this team hasn't forgotten who they are. Now the issue will be, can you get back on track? Can you get that maintain this consistency, that word we say all the time because it's so difficult to do, while missing two of your top six players? I mean, you don't have Arvidsson or Granlin right now. That's tough. But, but I think it's very much something that can happen. And I think we'll just be evaluating again at the next holiday. Where's this team at Christmas? Have they been able to leapfrog just one, two, three teams gotten back in that conversation? I think I think that'll be big. And I'm going to go very briefly on this because it's me on a on a soapbox here just for a second. Like I think there was so much frustration after that shutout loss in Florida, and and there were some comments more there. more frustration than I've seen after a loss in a while in, in November. Yes, and again. It's frustrating. I, yeah. I I don't want to see them lose. The The Panthers' structure was so good. Again, credit to them. They kept the Predators, again, on the second half of a back-to-back. You, you could play a little bit of an excuse there, but I, but I won't. Kept them so on the outside of the offensive zone. The Predators really didn't have a good scoring chance all game long. I mean, Bill Forsberg at the post in the first period. That's all that I can remember. Sometimes... That's going to happen. Sometimes you're going to get shut down and get frustrated. Here's the key, though. The Predators were pretty much doing the same thing to the Florida Panthers. There was one goal scored through 40 minutes. Yes, two more get put into the net before the game ends when it opens up and the Preds had to get desperate and just take some more risk. But by and large, it's a one-goal game off a rebound that went the Panthers' way that doesn't go the Predators' way. And yet you see this team needs another wake-up call. This team doesn't have the effort there. It's going to be okay. Like, like it's going to be okay. Like, even the best teams are going to have nights like that, and you're more likely to have them on the second half of a back-to-back. That's that's the good news and the bad news about these games in hand that Nashville has. Like, to make up games in hand on teams, you're probably playing back-to-back, so they're going to have to do better there. But you're right. They've got, I'm this off the top of my head, six, eight games, something like that before Christmas. Let's see where they're at mm-hmm. there. Well, yeah, some good points, to, some good opportunities to pick up points through the next four are at home. They've got that week-long road trip, four games in a week before Christmas, and then the Coyotes on the 23rd right before Christmas. So like you said, I'll be curious to see in these next two weeks what kind of team we're evaluating at Christmas. Well, let me say this real quick because I kind of forgot my main point. Liz. Like, I think a lot of the frustration was like the comments from the locker room of like, oh, we need more effort tonight or whatever. Listen, like sometimes you got to just say that. Like it, It's sports cliches. We face it in all of the major sports. You can't truly as a player come out and say, Yes, Florida's structure was excellent. They shut us down. If more teams did that, we'd be in trouble because more teams will do that. Like You you can't just say that. It's a little bit different, for example, in the NFL where you only face a team a lot of times once a year. You can say, yes, they did this, this, and this, and they were better than us. Hockey, a lot of times it gets gets oversimplified sometimes to effort and emotion and working hard and that sort of thing. It's a weird game. It can be a fluky game. When you're get creating the chances in your defense is better, which I think the Preds have done in the last five or six, that's a good sign. It's quite a sport, and one of the men who are in charge of keeping things fair and in line and, and announcing one heck of a goal review every <laughs> once in a while, Wes McCauley, really excited to have him 
on the podcast coming up in the next two segments. So we'll be back in just a moment to set it up. And then we'll have a lovely chat with Wes here on ESPN 1025 The Game. It's beginning to look a lot like We're continuing on the Preds official podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game. I'm Thomas Willis. To my right is Brooks Braddon. To my left is producer Calvin Smith back in the chair. And in your ear. And in my ear. We've got poinsettias in the radio studio with us right now. So I think it's fair to say it's beginning to look like Christmas, despite the fact that it was 60 degrees this week in Nashville. Yes. That's my kind of Christmas. December in a the tender South. tender Tennessee Christmas, if you will. Not that we're about to play that. but tender Tennessee that's a real That's a real song. I'm sure you've got it on your playlist of 800. Uh, more than that, silly boy. <laughs> um, yeah, so coming up in this segment, NHL official Wes McCauley. Again, really cool to get that insight. Whether you love the stripes, hate the stripes, even if you despise refs, maybe worth listening to so you can you know learn more about their weaknesses. I want <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to come back and set it up though because I actually had a really cool opportunity and I talked about this on the show earlier in September to do a chalk talk with some officials mm-hmm. here in Nashville before that preseason doubleheader against the Panthers, and I think it went really well. We got a lot of really good feedback from the fans that were in attendance at Bridgestone Arena. Quickly, for those of you that don't know, the a couple of the referees and linesmen from each game that were working that preseason game in Nashville. We took them upstairs uh, into one of the meeting rooms at Bridgestone Arena. Lots of Predators fans were gathered just to hear what life is like as an NHL referee. What are you looking for as a ref? Like, how do you get graded? How did you become a ref? I mean, it's a unique pathway. Yeah, Uh, so I I think people really enjoy that, and so that's what I hope all of you fine listeners will get out of hearing Wes here again, one of the best in the game at what he does. But some really good insights, some fun moments, too. So here is part one of our two-part conversation with number four, NHL referee Wes McCauley. We've had players, we've had coaches, we've had analysts, but we've never had an official here on the POP until now. NHL referee number four, Wes McCauley, kind enough to join us here on the Predators official podcast. Wes, welcome to the pod. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thanks, Brooks. Thanks for thinking of me and uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Take, take it easy on me. <laughs> so. Easy enough. No, no booing from me. I promise. Okay. We'll uh, we'll jump right in, and I and this is a case that I think most people maybe don't realize is that I, I don't know that anybody grows up necessarily thinking they're going to be a referee in the National Hockey League. You grew up playing as well, had dreams of making it to the NHL. As a player, you played at Michigan State, drafted by the Red Wings. What was your playing career like, and what was it like growing up playing for the Spartans and and then getting a chance in the Red Wings organization? So I guess I would say my playing career um, left a lot to be desired. (laughs) Obviously, now that I'm in a striped shirt. Uh, But, you know, I I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be uh, a, a National Hockey League official, even if you take a step back. Um, for a lot of people, my history is my, my father was an NHL referee. Uh, unfortunately, in, in 78, he was sucker punched uh, at a local establishment in, in New York, and he lost his eyesight. And when he was rehabbing that eyesight, he um, started to mentor some of the younger officials coming up in the American Hockey League uh, in the Central League. And he then, when it was decided that he couldn't, he just, you know, he couldn't do it. Uh, the, the eyesight just wasn't there to officiate. He then transitioned to into the management position and was director of officials until he passed away in 89. So I guess you could say I, I've been around officiating um, since the day I've been born, but uh, I always had aspirations of playing in the National Hockey League. And, and I... Um, you know, was fortunate enough to to attend Michigan State and and be a student athlete there and play and and at the time I uh, you know I graduated I I played from '89 to '93 and at the time I think college hockey that was kind of the you know one of the one of the better times to be a college hockey player we you know there was a lot of great players uh, in and amongst that league and um, you know so I I really enjoyed my my time at Michigan state, we, we always had competitive teams. We're always a top team. And then, um, after that, I, I, I transitioned to the pro level and, and I never really, I, I played most of my career kind of in that old, um, 
East Coast Hockey League. I played in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then that was my first year pro. And then I, most of it was spent between the East Coast League and the United Hockey League. And one thing that'll be, I guess, interesting for the old for Nashville fans is I remember playing at the old uh, auditorium down there, right against the <laughs> yep. Nashville Knights uh, <laughs> back in the day. And uh, it, uh, I still, when I come to town, I still like to. to to go down and, and have a look at it. And uh, uh, they didn't, uh, I'll tell you one thing, when you went into that barn, you know, if, if you got scratched that night or you were a healthy scratch, uh, didn't really hurt your feelings. You know? so, <laughs> I hear you. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, to answer your question, it was long winded is, you know, my playing career left a lot to be desired. No, fair enough. Well, and I, I, I've heard I've heard other officials say that in the past, and I've heard interviews with you say that a lot of people, maybe when you got to the pro ranks, say, you know, Wes, I, I think you might make a good referee someday. Yeah, well, so that's the funny story is, is I was playing in the United League in, in Muskegon, and I kind of been up and down between them and Fort Wayne Comets uh, in the International League, which I think Predator fans would be familiar with. Uh, the Milwaukee Admirals um, were in that league until they combined and, and became all right with the American League. And uh, Dave Farish was my coach who coached in this league a, a long time. Um, so one day I, I was kind of in and out of the lineup and I finally played a couple games that weekend. And, you know, later on the next week after the games, he uh, had scored my first goal and, you know, I feel pretty good. He, after practice one day, he said, hey, I'd like to, sit down with you and talk about the weekend. So I'm like, okay. And conversation started off pretty good. And he's telling me how, how he really liked how I played and really saw improvement in my game and, and this and that. And he said, you know, there was a lot of scouts at the game. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, your name got brought up. And I go, oh, okay. And, and then, so I think it's around 95, 96, right. And, and the NHL had been talking about, going from the traditional one referee to two referee system. And mm-hmm. he says to me, um, you know, so I'm feeling pretty good, right? My, my name gets brought up with the scouts and I'm feeling pretty good sitting at the top of the chair and chest out. And he says, uh, yeah, we were thinking uh, with your bloodlines and um, from the officiating background and, and the NHL going to four referees, uh, we think you'd be a really good ref. Well, needless to say, your chest isn't sticking out and you're not sitting at the top of the chair anymore. I'm kind of slumped back down. And I mean, it's funny to talk about now. And, you know, I left his office, my bag was packed. I was back down to the United Hockey League to Muskegon. And, but looking back at, that's probably when, uh, I maybe started, it, it started to pique my interest a little bit knowing, you know, I, I grew up in the game. I have a passion for the game and, Obviously, I wanted to play, but what's the next best thing? And I feel I have the next best thing to play in. I'm out on the ice with the best athletes in the world. And uh, how many people get to say that, hey, uh, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm going to go to Nashville and I'm going to skate around with, you know, Yossi and Johansson and Forsberg and, you know, Duchesne. You know, it's pretty, uh, you know, pretty neat thing to do. Absolutely. Well, and I, I'm curious too, what it, what that transition was like for you. And as you said, it obviously worked out. I mean, you you worked the Stanley Cup final year after year, and I know from your colleagues, you're regarded as one of the best. But how was that transition for you? And was it was it easy for you having those bloodlines? I know you've been around the game in that sense as well. I don't think it was easy. Um, well, it's not easy, but I think. Um, I think the biggest thing, uh, to be honest with you, is it's a whole, it's an unknown, right? You're now going on, you you, you think, oh, I've been around the game, this this should be easy, uh, putting down a stick and picking up a whistle, but there's a lot more involved in it. Um, I, I think one of the things that helped me with my transition was maybe I was fortunate that... Um, when I kind of came up in the minor pros back in the East Coast League and the United League, and now as an official, I I was still familiar with a lot of players. I'd played against a lot of them. I might have played with either in college or in the East Coast League or the United League, or I played with some of them. And maybe they kind of gave me a little more time than they might have given 
another official that mm-hmm. they weren't really familiar with. And I think that, that helped me. Um, but I, the biggest thing that, that helped me in my opinion was, is that I refereed every night I went back and I, you know, I refereed novice games or Mike games or squirt games. Didn't matter whatever level I, I, I got myself um, used to having a stick out of my hand and now putting a whistle into it. And, it, and that's, um, that was probably uh, the, the biggest transition was, you know, making that saying, okay, now I can't just watch the game. I, I, I got to react to what's happening in the game. Sure. Well, when, so when the officials announced at Bridgestone arena, you're obviously not on the ice, but we announced them prior to the game as, as every building does. And it's usually quiet, but when your name is announced, there's always, I always notice a few, there's a few little, Oh, Oh, that's exciting. Wes is here tonight. But I, I think the average fan probably knows you from a few of the goal review calls on the mic that have gone viral over the years. But to me, that's part of what shows your passion for the game. Where does that part of it come from for you? I don't know. I, I think, uh, you know, I've always thought it was pretty neat when we introduced us announcing the penalties. I, I take pride in the fact that I, I want to try to give as clear and concise um, explanation as, as possible to not only the the uh, fans in the building, you know, the announcers uh, on air on both TV and radio and and maybe it goes back to a little bit of my mom when I was a kid used to put me in all these public speaking competitions all over, <laughs> all over Ontario. Uh, and, you know, I, it's fun. I, you know, the guys like to rib me about it and the players too, right. They, uh, it's one of those things that I think that, we're, you know, we enjoy what we do and it. And I think if you can show, and that's the type of person I am. I, I like to, I like to be around the rink when I'm when I'm around the rink with my kids and stuff like that. That's how I am out on the ice at practice and behind the bench. And um, like I said earlier, like I mean, you know, I get to skate around on the ice with the best players in the world. You know, so so you're out there, you're into it. And and one of the biggest things that I know when I played at, at any level, or I guess in any profession, is you know the 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 people that showed that they were really into it and they, you know, love being out there, you had a little more time for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think that's one of the things with the players is they see that I, I'm out there. I want to be there and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm going to make mistakes. You know, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm going to make many, many more. And, but if, if you show that you're working and you're there and you care, they, they kind of cut you a little bit of slack. Right. Hope you're enjoying our chat with NHL referee Wes McCauley here on the Predators Official Podcast. We'll be back with part two of our chat with number four right after this on ESPN 1025 The Game. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Wes McCauley adding some drama to the call. Much to the delight of the crowd here in San Jose. Welcome back to the Predators official podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game and streaming on the Game Nashville app. Brooks Bratton and Thomas Willis of NashvillePredators.com. And that was the review that kind of started it all for Wes McCauley. He went viral after that clip. I remember seeing it. I think we were on the road uh, the the morning after when that, when that call fun. came. It's just and good family fun. We were watching it over and over again on the bus. And we're like, you love it. It adds a little yeah. bit of drama to it, some flair for the dramatic. Yeah. I mean, he's done the dramatic turn he's done the pregnant pause as they say before (laughs) revealing and very direct and and and, you know like he is good about like he said he is good about explaining clearly because that's just the one thing that you want the Mm -hmm. most is when there's been an extended review and you know there's at least some level of controversy as a fan if you can take 10 seconds and just let me know what happened hey the call was this, we checked for this, we've decided this. Give me that summary, and I think that just makes the game better for it. Part one is complete. Here's part two of our chat with NHL referee Wes McCauley. Wes, I'm always fascinated by when an official like yourself is mic'd up and the league releases or, or whatever outlet is, is doing uh, the feature, releases the footage, 
the communication between you and the players, you and the coaches. I could watch that for hours, but it's a key part of the job. So uh, how do you view communication between players and coaches and how important is that aspect of the job for you? Uh, my opinion, it's, I mean, obviously making the right calls is the most important, right? I mean, it's, I mean, that's, that's our bread and butter and that. And, but I, I think it's essential. It, it's communications. Uh, you have to build relationships uh, with these men, the coaches and that. I, I got a tip way back when, when I first started, um, you know, and this is over 20 plus years ago that, Really, if you if you really want to simplify or break the game down, um, how do you get through the game? This is the old traditional one referee, two linesman system. I mean, two head coaches of the team and the referee. We need to kind of get on a bit of the same page at the start of the game to to get through that sixty minute game because if we're if we're all three of us are off into different little streets or avenues, game's probably not going to go that well, right? So. I believe, you know, you have to have relationships and, you know, and it's not always has to be hockey. There's other things that we talk about out there. And I, and I think that's, um, that's one thing that I guess maybe from have a playing a background growing up, my father was, was very good at that. That was one of his strengths when, when he officiated and, and maybe, you know, from playing a little bit, you, you kind of have a, a little bit of, um, I guess empathy for the players of what they're going through. Sometimes you get goal scorers who haven't scored in ten games. Well, they're frustrated. Maybe maybe not the time to really have that conversation or, or talk to them about certain things that are going on on the ice, right? So, you know, uh, and that's that's also I think studying the league and, and having a feel for what's going on in amongst the league uh, throughout the season. Sure. Well, we know the communication is important, and as you touched on it. Obviously, calling penalties, calling goals, upholding the standard of the game—that's the main job out there to keep the players fair and safe. What what is it about that honor and that privilege to to, as you said, be out there with the best players in the world, and everybody's looking to you to make that call when it matters most? What is, what is that pressure like for you? Yeah, I, I I don't know if it if I would call it pressure. I I you know I call it like it, you know I sit there and I say to myself kind of look at it as uh, it's a different challenge every night. Like how many people, you know, are in a profession that nothing is the same. And if you think about it game to game, not all the games are the same. I mean, shift to shift, things can change just like that. Right. Uh, and that's the beauty of our sport. I mean, our sport, is it, it's so great. Obviously Brooks, you and I are biased. Uh, I mean, it, it's such a, I mean, the speed of the game. I mean, the skill of these of these guys is, is off the charts, and and um, you know, and, and I think that's that's something that excites you every night. You go on the ice like, whoa, okay, what's good? What are we going to have today? So you can prepare yourself, and you can think, or you can have all these things you think might happen, or in your mind, and that, and then you can go on the ice, and that could change on a dime, mm-hmm. and you got to react and 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 get through it, or. Um, or you know, like adapt to to what's going on, and 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 I think that is really the you know one of the most exciting parts of our job. Talk about exciting a Stanley Cup final, and we all remember in 2017 here in Nashville. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out the Predators' favor, but just just the aura of that and the memory of it. Anytime we bring it up here, it it really brings back some nice memories here in Nashville. But from an officiating standpoint, what is that like for you? to work a Stanley Cup final and if it gets to it a game six a game seven what is that like we all know how the intensity ramps up how, how do you see it in, in that moment well obviously it's it's very uh humbling and honoring um you know recognition we at the beginning of every year so we have um 68 full-time officials 34 referees 34 linesmen and, and at the end of the year you want to be uh one of those four gentlemen four referees four linesmen so one of those eight men standing at the end to represent our group and and it's just it's interesting because it, there's a lot going on and but when you get on the ice 
it's a hockey game. Mm-hmm. There's a little more, obviously, that you know, that the lights are brighter, the, the tension's a little more, but I think it to a man, like players, coaches, officials, it's, it's, it's just a hockey game, and, and there's just such a love, and, it, and it's out there, and, you know, so it, it never gets old. I mean, you want to do it year after year, right? Uh, and that's something that you, you know, obviously, that's what you're in the profession for, and um, so so it's a pretty neat, uh, it's a pretty neat experience. Uh, you never take it for granted, and, and uh, you know, like, it's one of those things that you just, you want to keep experiencing it. So, uh, yeah, it, it was, and it was a pretty exciting time. I, I was fortunate to be involved in that series and, uh, it was a pretty exciting time, uh, that playoff run and, uh, everything that was kind of involved with it, with who was going to sing the anthem and all of that. And, yeah. uh, fortunately for me, I, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to, to experience it and it was pretty neat. Awesome. Well, a couple quick ones here for you before we go. Uh, one, I know this is the, this is a popular question for players, either a favorite road city or a favorite building to work in. Do you have any any buildings that stand out to you above the rest? Um, I guess I, I guess I've always been kind of uh, biased towards the old original six teams. Uh, you know, working Madison Square Garden in New York, it, it's pretty neat. Uh, um, the old Chicago stadium. Um, Vegas is a real neat experience coming to, to Nashville. There's a, such an energy. I, I really think uh, ever since really that cup there in Nashville, it, it, it's really, it's showing the passion and it, it's showing the excitement that the fans can bring in it. And I think that it's really rubbed off on a lot of these other teams in terms of the entertainment value in the buildings and stuff. And uh, you're seeing across the league how, you know, I think how they maybe are, are trying to duplicate what was going on there in Nashville. And, and uh, you know, it's pretty exciting. I mean, so I, I guess I would say I'd stick with the old original six. It'd be nice if some of those old buildings were still around that I used to go to with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but that. That being said, uh, you know, um, I get I get to go to. I mean, my office is thirty one NHL buildings, so you can't really yeah. beat it, can you? Not bad, hey. And then, uh, lastly, favorite game or a favorite memory that sticks out? We know it's it's been a long career thus far, and it's not over yet. But any, anything that sticks out to you? Uh, I guess a couple. Obviously, you know, people always think it might be all star games or that. Uh, Last year, I was able to do Game 1000. Uh, I did it in Las Vegas, L.A. at Las Vegas, and it's a really neat experience. And, um, your family comes on the ice, and, uh, you know, we, we went over to the rink earlier in the morning and had a little game of shinny, my family and I. and So that was pretty neat. Um, and it's one of those things where they get recognized because, uh, you know, they sacrifice quite a lot for, for what I do. But I'll go back to – I. I was able to ref, I was working in the East Coast League and my, my younger brother played at Lake Superior State and then played for the Dayton Bombers of the East Coast League and I was able to ref his first um, pro game. So nice. that sticks out as probably the, you know, the fondest memory of the game. But uh, one funny story I'll leave you with is uh, my brother was a little rough and tumble uh, and, and this can go back to officiating or, you know, what I've kind of learned, but Later on that that year, my wife and I were living in Cincinnati, so my brother lived with us in uh, in Cincinnati, Dayton to Cincinnati, not not that far of a commute. And, and later on the season, I had to uh, throw him out of a game, <laughs> and then uh, we hopped in the car and drove home together. <laughs> uh, and when I got home, my mom—I don't know—I I think you know my mom was pa- it was passed on now, but I think. To the day she passed away, I, I think I heard heard about how how I could throw out Blaine um, in a game. It's just it, it just drove her crazy. But I always think back now um, to think of how I throw him out, and we hop in the car, we drive home together. But but that that might have been probably the biggest lesson I learned in officiating. I guess if I could throw my own brother out, <laughs> um, you know, it, it probably 
you know, probably doesn't matter. I, I can probably call a penalty on anybody, right? You can so, handle just about anything. Yeah. So, uh, but those are a couple kind of the, you know, I've been fortunate some individual stuff, but more of the family related um, things that have, been, that have been involved. So, so that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, Wes, we know that folks don't necessarily wear referee sweaters to the games and cheer on the officials, but hopefully you've gained a couple more fans from this. Thanks so much for doing this and continued success. We'll see you in Nashville sometime soon. Okay, great. Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I look forward maybe my next announcement there. I can outdo Paul there, right? He likes <laughs> to challenge me a little bit there. So. <laughs> well, the challenge is posted. We'll, we'll see if you, uh, you can live up to it. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, thanks Wes. Thanks. thanks for having me. Thanks All very right. much. So there you have it. A nice little conversation with NHL referee Wes McCauley. Hope you all enjoyed our chat with Wes. And whether you love the referees or you're not the biggest fans, hopefully you've gained a little bit of insight into what life is like on the ice for the stripes in the NHL. We'll come back with a little bit of insight for you as well as we wrap up episode 63 of the Predators official podcast, your Twitter questions, and a giveaway when we return here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Wrapping up things here on the Preds Official Podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. For Brooks Braden, I'm Thomas Willis, both of us of NashvillePredators.com. We hope you enjoyed that special two-part interview with NHL official Wes McCauley. We do want to get more specifically back into the Preds in this final piece of the program as we answer some of your Twitter questions and a special giveaway if you're listening Hopefully you're doing so early and quickly. Not that I'm encouraging fast-forwarding to the show. How dare you? <laughs> how, first of all, how dare first you? First of all, dare you. First, secondly, what gives you the right? We've got a quick giveaway for you. Yeah, probably the quickest giveaway we've ever had. So if you're listening to this on Sunday or beyond, sorry, you've missed it. But Thomas came across a pair of tickets to Saturday night's game, December 7th, New Jersey Devils, P.K. Subban. Coming back. Returns to the Bridgie. So we have a pair of tickets. What you have to do... Log on, twitter.com, hashtag Preds Podcast. Got to be following both of us and tag both of us in it while you're at it. That'll help us see it. Again, timely fashion. We got to get things ready before Saturday night here. The way that you can enter to win that pair of tickets to see the Preds play the Devils is... Let's just go secret word, Saturday. Saturday. The secret word is Saturday, as in the final day of the week. Saturday night. It's for Saturday night in Smashville, you know? Saturday night in Smashville. We haven't had one in a while. The... Predators are intending to get back into their winning ways from years past on Saturday nights, make it that dominating day of the week it has it has often been. So, yeah, and you can be there to see it happen. So be quick. Be quick. And uh, we will pick a winner soon on Saturday. We won't wait too late in the day uh, to give you a chance there. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out, and I'm just going to say noon. So wow. listen to this. I know some of you listen Friday night early on when it comes out, Saturday morning here on 102.5 The Game. Right. You got to get in quick. I'm going to do it on noon at noon on Saturday. I'll noon pick Central. a winner, so you don't have to wait. You don't have to wonder: Am I going to the game? Am I not? We'll figure it out, and uh, we'll we'll get two tickets to a lucky listener. Love it. Another thing you don't honestly have a ton of time on is the 2020 NHL All Star Fan Vote. So, actually, speaking of PK, Preds fans have helped to elect him in previous years as the Central Division All Stars captain. Of course, can't do that for the Preds anymore, but some other well-deserving names, including Roman Yossi, Matt Duchesne, um, Pecorine, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg, all options. You can also write in as well if needed. NashvillePredators.com slash vote. Um, again, those kind of four or five main names are the ones that we would stress because they've all had good years. But you have the chance to make your voice heard until December the 20th to, to potentially elect that guy as captain and then send him the all-star game which is in st louis this year so not too bad of a drive from nashville yeah. if you might want to go as well we've done it sure have. <laughs> sure have <laughs> to go see our boys of cold play all right you can also use pre- hashtag preds podcast to ask us questions on this show um let's get through these pretty quickly michael wants to know what are the logistics around getting recalled it seems most recalls happen rather quickly how much notice do players get player sticks families and he just wants to know the whole the whole story. We have talked about this in a previous episode with 
the Predators manager of hockey operations, Brandon Walker. And that was a long time ago, mm-hmm. like more, maybe a year. That was at if, least a year ago. If yeah. you want to hear that, but here's the quicker answer. Yeah, so it, that's a really good question. I really like this. So we mentioned it in segment one, Yakov trending back up with the Predators. Yakov's a unique situation in this case because, again, as we record this on Friday afternoon, the last time the Predators played was Tuesday. They sent Matthew Olivier back down on Wednesday had plenty of time to call up Yakov. I think they knew they were going to do it. So you have plenty of time to let him stay in Milwaukee for a couple of days. They had they were playing uh, games as well earlier in the week. So get him here on Friday. Get him a practice in. He'll play Saturday. Typically, you don't have that much time. Or you don't necessarily know that it's going to happen because nine times out of ten, if you're recalling someone, it's because someone else is injured. Mm-hmm. And it'll typically happen in a game the night before. Maybe it's a back-to-back situation. But usually... You'll, you'll get the call. And, and the way that it happens as well is, is Predators, coaches, and management are in constant communication with Carl Taylor in Milwaukee. Scott Nickel, the Admiral's GM, splits his time between here in Nashville and Milwaukee. Everybody's talking all the time. They always have an idea. Hey, if someone gets hurt tonight and we need a recall, who are we calling? Forward, defenseman, goaltender. All of that is planned out. They know who they're going to want, depending maybe on the player who gets hurt, depending on who's playing in Milwaukee, who's hot, who's cold, uh, who deserves a shot. And so that will happen, and and then you immediately get people like Brandon involved and people like Ryan Costello in Milwaukee who handles all of their travel. You get flights for guys, you get them here, you get their equipment and their sticks on the plane as well. If it's a first game, like we had Matthew Olivier play his first game a few weeks ago, he had enough time, he had a day in advance, he was able to call his his parents in Quebec they were able to get down here to Nashville, his sister, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. things like that. So in an ideal situation, you have about a day to figure everything out. Sometimes, as we might say, you get in one <laughs> and you've got to figure it out in a hurry. Anthony Richard, uh, a couple times ago when he was recalled, right. I think got to the rink at 4 or 5 o'clock yep. in the afternoon after so. just flying in mm-hmm. right before the game. So Yeah, and in most times, like you said, you've got 24 hours. There is the emergency recall angle, which usually means it is more immediate due to an injury. And again, a lot of times we as the team, meaning the Predators, when we're announcing a roster move like that, there's finality and and a level of officialness to that. It's not as if, hey, we're going to do this, meaning prime example, you might see it announced that a guy gets recalled on a Saturday morning and the game is that night. That doesn't necessarily mean the guy flew in at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. Well, it, hap- it happened on Friday as we record this. Yeah. We we posted five minutes before practice yeah. that Yakov Trenin was recalled. And, oh my goodness, he's on the ice for practice. How did that happen? Precisely. It wasn't as if we're sitting there sweating and being like, I don't know if he's going to make it. Now, that, like you said, can happen when it's a true tight turnaround. A lot of times when it's on the road. So that's why you'll see a lot of teams might want the extra forward or the extra defenseman because they do know there are weird things. Just I'll give you a random one. The San Jose airport like is small and closes early at night. Like it really does. So like there might be an issue potentially where a guy could not get there in time or something like that. So that's why you're a little safer on the road. But generally at home, it's a day before and it's you know, it works out. It's pretty cool. Good question. So more on the recalls. Nick wants to know what's the point of view surrounding these recent call ups? We'll have to go quickly. He wants to know about Olivier Carr and now Trennan has joined. What have they been doing in Milwaukee? What could they do in Nashville? So Trennan, I think, again, he's been in the system for for five years now. I mean, it's been an extended amount drafted of time. Drafted in 2015. Yeah, and they've really been waiting for him to get to this point. He suffered some some injuries along the way as well. So I think for him, they are going to want him just, just to be able to score, ideally, when it comes to his long-term path. He's been doing that in Milwaukee finally. Now, it looks like, based on Friday's practice, when he's up at list. Maybe he's in more of a hitting, checking kind of role. Because, again, he's he's a big dude. He's a big body, too. So yeah. I think that is a bit of a difference in that he's not going to be asked, it seems, to do the same thing in Milwaukee as he did in Nashville. Carr, I think ideally, they David Poyle, the GM, saying this this summer, wanted him to make the team out of camp. Wanted him to be the difference maker, thinking he was ready to make that next step just to be a offensive full-time player. That's why it looks like, I mean, he's been in that top six. He's been along that second line a lot. They would like him to continue that. And then Olivier, similar to the role it seems like Trinan could be getting in that physical, aggressive, you know, drop the gloves if he needs to. You and I said this to each other several times, though. Really liked the moves he was making of just cutting to the net. Worked for Mm -hmm. a goal in St. Louis. Nearly worked a couple other times in his eight games with the Preds recently. So good to see him be able to chip in as well. I think there was a desire to get Austin Watson and Colton Sissons back to the way we've seen them play before. And I think Olivier took a little bit of the pressure off those two guys. 
Sheldog quickly, and we kind of answered this on Twitter during the game on Tuesday because she asked it during the game, but she turned around to a guy behind her and said, you know, there was, there was a major penalty on Ryan like, What does Johansson. that mean, basically? What does that mean? How many times can Tampa Bay score? Did they come out of the box after two minutes? And the, she said the guy's like, I don't know. That's a hardcore hockey question. I'm going to have to Google that. She's like, well, thanks to the Preds podcast, I don't have to Google that. Right. But she but she asked, um, the question is here, do you get to come out of the box like two-minute power plays when it's a major penalty? Quick answer, even though we told her on Twitter, I still wanted to bring it up. No, you do not. So if, if there's a five-minute major penalty, you can score as many times as you want. That's why they're such a big deal. Yeah, there's no expiration of time. If you score a goal, doesn't matter. It keeps going the whole five minutes. I'll give you two things. One, that's why I said earlier at the very beginning of the show, the interesting timing from Wes McCauley, he was not officiating the game on Tuesday, but there was a bit of controversy with Ryan Johansson getting the major called on him, but not called when Daniel Carr was hit, only a minor in that case. So I think that would be your main argument from a Predators perspective is if that hit on Carr had also been a major, the Preds do score on that one power play, only of two minutes to tie the game. Could they have scored another and win the game? I think that's kind of the controversy point there and then again those plays in particular get reviewed now to make sure the contact and the hit to the head is a bigger if deal. it's a major penalty yes yeah if it's a major penalty that's going to get reviewed so i think that's what captain roman yossi's argument was you know you should kind of be doing the same thing that you did earlier in the game to johansson but again the officials did not see it that way the second thing which is fun coming out of the box on two minute power plays that's new so the rule got changed in, I think, the 80s or so because the Montreal Canadiens were so good on offense. They would get a two-minute power play, and they would score multiple power play goals. So the rule was changed because of those teams so that now when you get a power play goal, the guy gets to come out of the box, and you get to go back to even strength because it was absurd. The offense of the Canadiens was so good, they were destroying the league. So that, that's a fun one for you. Look at you and your hockey history. Yeah, there you go. I'm impressed. This last question is right up your alley. Yes, so um, loyal listener Ben, who we totally saw on Fang Vision like three times at the last game. <laughs> you pointed and said, it's a, it's a podcast I, like, I know guy. that guy. Uh, if the Preds were to obtain a real-life Baby Yoda as the team mascot, would they proceed to win 71 games straight? Absolutely they would, as long as he kept his hands off the controls of the ship. Send us some. <laughs> For Thomas Willis, who is pumped about Baby Yoda, you can follow him at Tommy Willis on Twitter. I'm Brooks Bratton. You can follow me at Brooks Bratton on Twitter and Instagram and Apple Music. I've got my Best of 2019 playlist on there now as well. Follow up. Listen and love it. Follow at Preds NHL on social, of course. All the best Predators content as we lead up to the Winter Classic as well. Only a few weeks away. More details to come in the next few shows about that. Episode 63 of the POP here. Thanks so much to Wes McCauley for joining us. Really hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as we did with Wes. We're live everywhere. December is here. It's Christmas time. <laughs>